So on Wednesday evenings, we've been looking at religious mistakes that people make, errors, uh, if you will. I was thinking earlier of a little verse that we have referred to often, First, First Thessalonians 5, and um, it's 21 or 22, but it says, To prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. And that's part of what we've been trying to do here on Wednesday evening is, is to be able to help us see clearly the various doctrines that are important toward eternal life, but also to see it so clearly that we may be able to help others see as well. I'd like for us to be turning over to Proverbs 18.13 just by way of introduction this evening. Proverbs 18.13. And to think about this principle as we get there. In order for us to help others we must try our best to understand where they're coming from. We must first try to understand. Okay. Seek to understand first. And we're headed in that direction this evening. But Look at, look at Proverbs 18 and um, verse 13. If one gives an answer before he hears, it, is, it becomes folly and shame to him. You see that principle there? So we've got to be able to listen to people and find out where they're at in their understanding, uh, in their religious life. As we've been studying these different religious errors on Wednesday night, we've been able to pick up on a few reasons why uh, people tolerate error, tolerate mistakes. It's, it's puzzling to us. Why do people miss it? Why do people miss it? I got to thinking about my little league baseball days, and, and um, one time, I think I was age 14 or so, I was just missing the ball. I was in a slump, and the coach was perturbed about it. He, at practice, he brought a friend of his with him and told him that I was just in a slump, and that friend took me aside. And all during practice, it was just me and that friend. We were separated from the rest of the team. But he put some blocks around my feet and just kept throwing pitches at me, but I was to not move my feet. And that was, that was my trouble. Was I was moving my feet, and when I moved my feet in the batter's box, it just threw everything else off. So that's why I was missing the ball. And we, as we seek to share God's word, we need to understand as best we can why people miss the plain teachings of the Bible. We've been able to pick up on some of that as we as we've gone through. We we know that that the time frame of the Bible is so very important. If, 
if you're not able to see the Bible and God's purpose as, as you work through Scripture and, and see the kingdom of God coming and, and seeing that it did come and the importance of the day of Pentecost and, and how God was working toward a particular time in history, as we mentioned Sunday, Galatians 4 verse 4 uh, says, In the fullness of time God sent forth His Son. So many people miss teachings because they don't understand the importance of, of time. Last week, we talked about the thief on the cross and understanding Jesus and his conversation with the thief uh, had a lot to do with the time frame. You know, our, we live on this side of the cross. The thief lived on the other side of the cross, barely, but he did. And so the circumstance was a little bit different. And so that's what I'm talking about this evening is understanding some, some reasons why sometimes people miss the plain teachings of the Bible. Sometimes they, they miss it. We talked about this a few weeks ago because they misunderstand the goodness of God and the responsibility of man. People get in their mind that God is so good that that leaves man of not having very much responsibility in responding to that goodness. And we've, we've been able to go through some of those concepts last few weeks as well. But misunderstanding God's goodness, His grace, His love leads to a lot of misunderstanding as well. Sometimes just the language of the Bible, uh, understanding that, that uh, there is some figurative language and how that works, sometimes not understanding that uh, throws us off as well. So I said all that to say, I wanted to mention something that is in the minds of religious people that causes uh, them and sometimes us uh, to miss some plain teachings of the Bible. Okay. And so uh, here it is. There is a thought out there that within the Bible there are some teachings that are of primary importance and there are some teachings that are of secondary importance. In other words, and I've listened to various denominational teachers, and they'll say that's a that's a first order teaching, and then this here would be a second order teaching. Okay. And they begin to divide the teachings of Scripture up in that manner, and it causes them to really um, get twisted uh, in their thinking. It goes like this, uh, especially if you are thinking about those that live up and down the roads around us and attend various groups around us. The, the, it goes like this. I, I, if you'll believe in Jesus as the Son of God, that would be your first order teaching. That would be the teaching that is of primary importance. Then the rest of it, the way you worship the Lord, uh, the way your church is structured or organized, the, the uh, way that you feel about salvation, the way you feel about marriage, the way you feel about home, uh, the, way you, um, um, the way you feel about Judgment Day, heaven, all of that would be of secondary importance. That would be a second tier 
or a, a, a second order or third order uh, teaching. Okay. And so that concept is out there, and I wanted us to just explore that first part of our class uh, this evening, because it's very important uh, in understanding why people think the way they think. Okay. And it, it is um, this particular thought of primary importance versus secondary has been out there for quite some time. Okay, you'll hear from the younger and the older folks speak of, well, as long as you believe that Jesus is here and that he, he died for your sins, then that's of primary importance. That's, that's your first, first order business. But then all these other teachings um, would be of secondary importance. Okay. So uh, that's the thought uh, this evening now, I want us to respond to that, and I want to give uh, three responses and then see if, if um, you have more to add to these responses. And then I want us to look at a couple scriptures that are used by our religious friends uh, to try to teach this, this primary and secondary type of importance. Okay? But response number one from, that I would think of is, to be sure to remember that every word, every word of the new covenant uh, in God's sight, every word of the new covenant from, in God's sight is to be respected and obeyed. Okay, that, that would be my first response. Every word of the new covenant is to be respected and obeyed. Okay. What did Jesus say to the devil? Matthew 4, verse 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but what? Every word proceeds from the mouth of God. All right. So how should you emphasize that, Mike? So we need to do everything it says. Okay. So if you're, if you're teaching a class you, and you want to emphasize that every, because that's what Jesus said. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, if you're there in Matthew 4, you can jump over to Matthew 5 with me. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Pick up with me around verse 17 or so. Jesus saying, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law, talking about the old law, or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say unto you, until heaven and earth shall pass away, not, um, not one iota or a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, notice this, verse 19. Therefore, uh, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. All right. So notice verse 19 especially, and think about what Jesus is saying. He's simply saying that under the old law, every, every commandment was important. And in looking toward his new covenant, his new kingdom, his kingdom coming, the same principle will be there. That's what he's saying. So anyone who does not keep every word will be considered least in the kingdom of God. Now think about that word least for a second. He's saying there that even those commands that would seem least in our sight, 
Jesus said you, you need to go ahead and keep those as well. And so from, from the smallest upward, uh, Jesus expects us to keep all the commands. Right? So look at that there in John uh, 5. And then what did Paul say that would um, support this principle of every word? What did Paul say in Acts 20 to the elders of the church at Ephesus? What do you remember about that? Okay. Notice what Mike says from Acts 20, 26 and 27. Paul said, I am free from the blood of all men. Okay. Find that verse. Somebody read it completely. Acts 20, 26 and 27. <clears throat> Okay, so that's what makes us free from the blood of all men is declaring the whole counsel of God, the whole counsel of God. Underline that in your Bibles, all the counsel of God. Okay. Now, jump over to James chapter 2 for a second. James chapter 2. And recall, as you look into James 2, the sin that James is dealing with here is the sin of um, favoritism, okay, the, the sin of uh, cliques in the church, um, the sin of partiality. Okay. He deals with it all down through James chapter 2. Then he gets down to, to verse 8. James 2 verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbors yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, verse 9, James 2, you are committing sin and are now and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Now notice verse 10, James 2. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has been accountable for all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery, also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but if you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who will be judged by the, be judged under the law of liberty. Okay, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy, and mercy triumphs over judgment. But James is clearly teaching here concerning the law of Christ that, um, that he, the Lord expects us to keep the whole law, whole law, and not intentionally skip over one point of it. Okay. Now, that brings to our mind the, the important principle that we cannot pick and choose what we want to respect and obey. We, just, we can't pick out of God's commandments what we want to obey, and we can't pick out some to simply ignore. Okay. Uh, we must, we must uh, be respectful to all of it. All of it. Now, if I bring up um, 1 Samuel 15 and, and old King Saul, what comes to you, man, in, in relation to this principle we're talking about here? 
think about 1 Samuel 15, old King Saul, he's told to go to utterly destroy the Amalekites, lead the army, his people to do that. And do you remember what he does and what he says about it? What God says about it? Okay, so it's good for us to glance at that, looking at 1 Samuel uh, 15, and this is uh, first king of Israel, Saul, and one of his first commands from God through Samuel is to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites, devote them to destruction. Verse 3, all that they have, do not spare them. Kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and, and donkey. Uh, so there he goes. But verse uh, 9 says, uh, Saul and the people spared Agag, the king, and the best of the sheep and, all, and of the oxen and of the fatty calves and lambs and all that was, very, was good. And then verse 10, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. Notice this carefully, verse 11. The Lord said to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me. Now notice that. Notice that. Now Saul had gone and done pretty much what the Lord said do. Pretty much. He brought victory over the Amalekites. From anybody else's standpoint, he had utterly destroyed them. But by not doing all the Lord had said to do, then in God's sight, that's just not following me. He says, he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And so Samuel was angry and Samuel goes to see Saul. Looking down to verse um, 13, Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? There you go. We see God's mindset on keeping and doing all that he commands us to keep and do. So that would be my first response to this idea that there, there are different levels, first order, second order levels of commandments. And that is to remember God wants us to keep every word of his covenant. My second response would be, well, what about the character of Jesus? The character of Jesus. Are we to think that Jesus would say things but not really mean those things? which is pretty much what you're saying if you're saying that Jesus taught things but didn't really put them in importance. He didn't really, he didn't really conceive of them, perceive them to be important to us. What, is, what does that say about the character of Jesus? Does that mean that he told us, tells us to do things but didn't really mean what he said? Is he just toying with us? Is he just giving us things to ponder on and think about? Or was he serious when he gave his teachings to us? I 
think it reflects on the character of Jesus. Remember what Jesus says in John 12 and 48. He said, the words that I speak unto you will do what? Yeah, John 12, 48. The words that I speak unto you, the same will judge you in the last uh, day. And I think my third response uh, would be, well, what about those words of Jesus? What about those words of Jesus? If he is the Son of God, okay, if he is the Son of God, if he did come in the flesh, he is the Son of God, then doesn't that make his words and what he says of ultimate value? Doesn't, doesn't that make his words extremely important? If he really is the master of the of the universe, doesn't that make his words auto make it, shouldn't that make his words very special to us? Wouldn't that just be an automatic response? You know, we might recall what Peter said in, in John six when Jesus said um, to Peter and to the others, "Will you also go away?" And what did Peter say? Whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. There is no one else to go because of his words. Because of his words. Okay. I like this one. Look into your Bibles in John 12 for just a minute. John 12 and all the way down to verse number 50. 49 and 50. This is right after Jesus had said, my words will judge you on the last day. Verse 49, he says, I have not spoken on my own authority, but, my, but the Father who sent me has, has him himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. That puts a pretty high premium on the words of Jesus. And so we can't just say, well, as long as I believe that Jesus is here and he did good work at the cross, then that forms my, my solid belief and the other things are just up to me to whether I keep them and to what extent I keep them. We've got to think about the value of Jesus' words. When Jesus came to the earth, he didn't just simply teach, hey, I'm here. But rather, he taught some very specific things, didn't he? I mean, he, taught about, he taught about baptism, Mark 16, 16, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. That's Jesus talking there. Jesus in Matthew 19 talked about the marriage, okay, and the two shall be one. Jesus talked about marriage. He talked a lot about loving one another and how to love one another, even loving our enemies. He talked about uh, how to treat one another as you would, one would do unto you. Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom, the church, and the type of church kingdom he had in mind. He talked a lot about heaven and hell and and Judgment Day, you know, he, did, he talked a lot about specific matters. Okay. 
we are not to just to accept the fact that he came and then just ignore what he said, but rather it is because he came and it is because of who he was that we put a very high premium on what he taught, what he said. So those will be my three responses. Every word's important. Okay. Don't be reflecting on the character of Jesus and then uh, the, the value, high value of his words. Okay. How, what else would you say in regard to assigning uh, some teachings as more important than others? What would you, how would you respond? Okay, 2 Timothy 3 and, and 16. Every scripture is inspired of God. So you're saying that every single scripture is from the same author? It's important. Every, one of them, every scripture is to be respected and obeyed. And I totally agree, but doesn't it say, refer to the golden rule as the greatest Well, it says in regard to the greatest commandment, you shall love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. And the second is likened to that, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, what do you think? What do you think? I think you do know. Think about it. Think about what you're saying. Think about it. Yeah, that's what I was trying. I was trying to get you to say what Houston and Brent said. That loving God with all your heart, loving your neighbor yourself, is kind of the the foundation of obeying all the word, keeping every word. If you if you truly want to do those two things, then you're gonna you're gonna want to do every word that you can possibly fulfill every commandment you can. So it comes down to attitude and love. Attitude and love has a lot to do with your attitude toward God has everything to do with keeping the commands of God. Okay. Good question here. Who gets to, who de, to determine what's mo, more important and what's not important? Who, who gets to make that choice? And uh, that's an excellent question. And I often think about that as I listen to someone on, on the radio and, and they'll say, now, what we're talking about, they may be discussing, say, marriage, okay, and, and divorce, or even, even more perversion of marriage than, than that. And they'll say, now, listen, uh, we're all together on, on belief in Jesus. And then they'll say, well, this is another discussion here. Okay. And they'll start dividing that out as if as if what Jesus said about marriage is not near as important. Who gets to make that decision? Okay. I'm wondering, all that you have said, I 
Okay, let's look at that. Matthew 23 and verse 23. Matthew 23, 23. Yeah. And so see what Larry's bringing up. Wonder if some got it from this passage in Matthew 23, 23. It's a scathing rebuke of the Pharisees and Sadducees uh, from Jesus. Okay. The, the Jesus who's so tender and merciful, sometimes he can raise his voice. So, uh, all right. Go ahead, Brother Larry, and let's read that. So what does that verse teach? They're all important. Yeah, you, you do them all. I think there are some weightier matters. I think what the point that he was getting at here was that they were concentrating on some of the um, you know, more minor things and totally forgetting things like mercy and mm-hmm. judgment. And, and Jesus plainly says it's all important. He says right. these you ought to have done, but not to... Well, it's possible that I guess that they would they would look at the idea of a weightier matter. Yeah. They don't keep reading. You read the whole verse. Right. This is like your um, your very um, off balanced um, RAS person coming at you. Okay. They're very, very careful to pay tithe of these, these spices, but they've comp- totally forgotten um, the other big matters uh, in the law. Okay. Jesus said, you ought to do it all. Do it all. Um, but, as Paul's pointing out there, it's, it begins with love in God and loving your neighbor. Okay. Just like Matthew 23, 23 here says, um, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Okay, that would be very similar to loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. That's the foundation. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness is a foundation that would urge someone to keep the whole law. Yeah, how can you be faithful if you don't keep the whole law? Amen. This would fall into one thing. When you go to discipline your children, here's where you act out the, uh, the myth and everything and versus the justice. When you go to discipline your children, one, you do it in love. Mm-hmm. You don't do it while you're angry. So while you're 
discipline. You know, Daddy always say, well, it's going to hurt me worse than it does you. Yeah, <laughs> we wonder. Mm-hmm. But we don't beat them to death because we're showing mercy and love as a training tool, yeah. not someone to take the anger out of. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be full, uh, well balanced in, you know, the bent and the tie versus the justice. You want to teach your children and train them and not try to punish them out of anger. Okay. Well, Good, good references there that ties in uh, to the other matters we we're speaking of. John 14, 15, John 15, 14, both talking about loving God and keeping His commandments. Very good. All right. Now, a couple of other passages. I'm glad Larry brought the Matthew 23, 23 out. But one that is often used uh, and twisted is 1 Corinthians 1, 17. If you want to make your way over there, 1 Corinthians 1, 17. And you're welcome to help us in this passage as well. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. So, that is used very often, very often by religious people to say, see, Paul makes preaching the gospel more important than baptism. In fact, um, you'll, you'll hear people say, see, Paul's actually separated baptism from the gospel. Therefore, baptism was not necessary for salvation. Okay. That's exact quote from a fellow that I respect. His name is Norman Geisler. And he has written some good uh, reference books on the Bible. Good survey books. But it gets down to salvation. This is exactly what he says. Okay. And so... You know, go ahead. So Brent's making reference to over, over in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, where Paul said, I planted Apollos water and God uh, gave the increase. Okay, and that does fit right into Paul's main mission. Let's think about the context of 1 Corinthians 1, and that just clears matters up really, really fast here. What is going on in 1 Corinthians 1? If you look down to verse uh, 12, Okay. Right. If you look at verse 12, you see that they were giving very much undue allegiance to the one that baptized them. Okay. And it's a problem. Paul is, Paul's writing to correct this problem. 
okay, not just to state it, but to, but to correct it. And it got so bad that they started naming themselves after I'm I'm of Apollo. I'm of Cephas. I am of Apollos. So their personal allegiance to the one who administered the baptism on them. And that was totally wrong and uncalled for. And it was so bad. What did Paul say about it? Next couple of verses. That's exactly right. Yeah, I'm, um, so that no one may say, verse 15, that you were baptized in my name. Okay, So I'm thankful Paul said I didn't baptize none, any of you except for Crispus and Gaius. So he said, uh, because you guys have taken this to such a, such a level of disturbance, I'm glad I... Paul was there, according to Acts 18, 11, he was there about... 18 months and so during all that time he was preaching the gospel teaching sowing the seed but in the end he's glad well I'm, per I'm glad I didn't personally baptize uh, too many because they would start trying to follow me if that's the kind of thing you're going to be doing okay. so obviously here Paul is saying the one who does the baptizing is, is not of primary importance the importance is you preach the gospel and sow the seed, and that proper sowing and receiving will bring someone to want to be baptized uh, for the remission of sins. David, here's another thing. The preacher once told us about Greek. The most important words come first. Now, he could have very easily said, Christ didn't send me to, uh, Christ sent me to preach the gospel, not to baptize. He didn't word it that way. He didn't say those words. He emphasized baptism showing which was the greatest importance is not diminishing baptism by preaching. So with the Greek words, uh, the most important words come first. So he didn't say, I, I sent Paul to uh, preach and I baptized. He didn't say that. It's not what he's saying. I don't know what you said the rest of that. I wasn't really, really sure what you're saying the rest of it. But he definitely didn't say, God didn't send me to, to not baptize. Because Paul clearly baptized. Okay. But I think we can see from the context what Paul is saying here. He's saying because the, it's, not the, it's not that the baptism was the problem. The people were the problem. Okay. The people were making little groups out of the one that uh, baptized them. Okay. And that shouldn't be. So there's no reason to try to disavow baptism here. In fact, Paul is not disavowing baptism. Inasmuch first... He himself was baptized for forgiveness of sins, Acts 22, 16. Ananias told him, what, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Okay. And secondly, he taught it everywhere. He, everywhere he went, in his letters and in his preaching, he taught uh, belief in baptism for the remission of sins. Okay. So again, uh, there's not a, a first order, second order idea going on here. But rather, the context clears it up as it often does. Okay. So I wanted to share this, um, again, with the idea of helping, understanding where people are coming from, and being ready to help, uh, help see matters uh, more clearly. Okay. All right. Appreciate it very much. And um, we'll continue along these lines. Um, 
more specifically next week. So, um, we've got a special subject next week, but I'm waiting on the other women to join the class. Because if it's going to be fiery, it might as well be full fire.